I have a, uh, a few things to share with you tonight that the Lord has put on my heart over the last week or two. And I want to begin with a couple of passages that I think are, to me, are some of the more sobering passages in the New Testament. And I'll start with a, with a, a little confession to you. You know, you hear the phrase, the straight and narrow, keep it on the straight and narrow. I used to think that that meant that the path was narrow and, you know, straight as an arrow. But I realized uh, that actually that's taken from the King James Bible and the word straight is S-T-R-A-I-T. It's straight as in straits, like the Straits of Gibraltar. Amen. Or sometimes we might say somebody is in dire straits. It means that you come to some point that has narrowed you in from both sides. There's a rock on one side and there's a hard place on another side and it's, it's getting narrow and there's really only one path that leads you through Amen. and into the next place that God has for you in his kingdom. Amen. So the path is narrow. It's a straight I'm not saying that it's not also straight, but sometimes we'd like to think that we can kind of just set our course according to some principle and put it on cruise and put it on autopilot, amen, amen and then just go to sleep and it's just going to kind of continue. And that's not the point. Straights always make me think of birth, amen, the birth canal where there's just this impossible seeming squeeze that you got to make it through if you're going to go from one world into a completely different world. And I, I was thinking about that, and, and the passage that I was thinking of was where um, Jesus has been going through, it's in Luke 13, where Jesus is going through the cities and towns, and it says somebody came to him and said, Lord, are there few who are saved? And we'd like the answer to that to be, no, of course not. There are many who are saved, because it would seem to increase our chances. <laughs> but... Jesus' answer is, he says, strive to enter through the straits. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. And the word strive there is, is I won't say it right, but it's agonizomai or something like that. You can tell what word we get in English from that. It's our word agonize. It means to make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. For I tell you, he says, Many will seek to enter and will not be able to. We like to think that, yes, there are a few who are saved. That's because so many people never really make any effort. They never try. But those of us who try, we make it. But he says, no, there are going to be many who try. There are going to be many who seek to enter but will not be able to enter. So it's a minority of the minority, you see? So he's telling us something, and it's, it's where he goes in and says, he says that they're going to stand at the door and knock, and the master's going to say, and they're, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, please open, and, and he's going to say, you know, who are you? And they're going to say, you taught in our streets. We ate at your table. And that can be, you think what that could be. We, we, we came to Wednesday night meetings for years. We felt it. Remember how we were fed. 
Remember how we marveled at the teaching and the gracious words. We were, we, it, it's the delusion of proximity, isn't it? Amen. We were so close. We felt what others were feeling. We appreciated it. We enjoyed it. We loved it. Doesn't that count for something? And you know his troubling answer. Amen. And, and the thing is, is that it is supposed to count for something. It's supposed to be the thing that motivates us and that says, oh, God, this is the pearl of great price. I have been bought with a great price. And therefore, it is, it is, it is incumbent upon me that I've got to do something with what has been poured out upon me undeservedly. Thank you, Jesus. There is a response that is required to what God has shown to me. And if he's chosen me to sit at the table of plenty, it's because he's got a purpose for my life. Amen. And the Lord is looking out and saying, who is going to be worthy? Who cares enough about what is happening in my presence that they're going to be worthy of this kingdom? Thank you, Jesus. And he goes on, and it's where he says that there's going to be a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God, but you're not there. The sons of the kingdom are put out. And he says, Brother Ossie quoted this last night, many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and find their places in the kingdom. In other words, there is a danger that you can be passed like you're standing still by other people who come and recognize the pearl that was in your hands. And we thought it was enough to be there. <clears throat> and this passage has been on my heart. It's when John the Baptist comes and he's preparing the way of the Lord. And you know his message was the same thing Jesus echoed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It indicates that there is a timing. It's now. There is a reason why you're called upon to make this turn, to make this shift, to come on through the straits now, because the kingdom is at hand. Amen. But it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He can feel from a distance, it seems, that there's some different kind of attitude, even though they're, they're there, they're coming too. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In another gospel, he says, do not even begin Amen. to think within yourself, we have Abraham as our father. He already knows what kind of track they're going to go down. He, he already knows, and he's saying, don't even start down a certain mode of thinking that says, well, obviously, the stars kind of align here, and, and we were kind of born, we're here, this is happening, and so this means that we're part of this. He's saying, that's not it. That mindset is going to totally derail you from what God has in store for his people. Amen. You are apparently not worthy even of this first baptism. Amen. With that mindset. Thank you, Jesus. He knows that's how they're going to think, and that's exactly, of course, what they say to Jesus in John 8, isn't it? When he's speaking to them about deliverance, 
And they get offended and say, we're Abraham's children and never been in bondage to anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Do not even think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham for himself. Amen. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, there is a, there's a blade coming into this picture that's going to divide the trees according to their fruit, not according to what they think is protocol, or this is what everybody's doing, so I'm going to do it too. And then he goes right to what's coming after him. This is not the only step, this baptism of repentance. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's saying, there's going to be more steps here. And every one of them is going to bring some kind of purging, some kind of division. Amen. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Here comes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A winnowing fork is in his hand. I know he's also talking about the judgment at the end of the age, but I think it starts long before that, doesn't it? It's starting right now in the word that John the Baptist is preaching to these people who are coming saying, we want to be part of this. The winnowing fork, that's the threshing fork. It's dividing what's valuable and what has weight from what is too light and is going to be blown away when the winds come. So the message here is there's nothing automatic about the kingdom. There's nothing assumed about the kingdom. Do you remember the message that came to, the, the, was it Belshazzar in the Old Testament when the writing appeared on the wall? And it said, when it was interpreted by Daniel, it said, you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found lacking. So the kingdom has been torn from you and given to another. So the question is not whether God is worthy of our praise. The question is whether or not we are worthy of the calling that he has given to us. Do you remember when Simeon was in the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel and, and Mary came into, into the temple with Joseph and, and, and the baby? And you remember the words that he spoke to her? This child, this thing that God has begun, this thing that God has entrusted into your hands to nurture and care for and be a mother to, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Amen. The word rising there is actually the, the word resurrection. Amen. Amen. It doesn't just mean falling down and getting up. He's talking about something momentous that's going to happen here. Amen. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Thank you, Jesus. And for a sign that will be spoken against. And he says, yes, and a sword will pierce through your own heart also. That the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Amen. He's saying that when God calls you for a purpose, when he entrusts into your hands the destiny of his kingdom, 
There is a sword inherent in that calling. There is something about the nature of it that is going to divide the wheat from the chaff in your life. Not the kind of dedication we would probably prefer for our little children we have dreams for. They're the future. And they're gifts from God, and we love it. You know, we love the, the feeling, the new life that God births and, and gives to us and says, would you participate in this? Would you help? And we say, wow, this is incredible. I love it. And then the Lord says, amen. Do you realize the kind of responsibility this is? Thank you, Jesus, because there's something in this that is going to pierce your own soul. The call to mother the purpose of God is a threshing floor. And when I speak about mothers, I'm not just speaking to the women here. <laughs> Even Paul said that he was like a nursing mother among the church. This was his burden. This was his calling. Amen. And the mothering leads to fathering. It's all the same thing. It says, this is a child that God has entrusted to me. This is a life. This is fragile. This has to be taken care of. Whether it's my calling, whether it's my relationships, whether it's my task, whatever it is that God has put in front of me and we can feel it and we love it. <sighs> but this thing has got to be taken care of. It's got to, and God is looking for people who are going to survive the threshing, Amen. who are going to let the sword come in and do its work, amen, and produce the resurrection as they face the impossibilities of the burden and of the task. There's going to be a sword that comes in. Thank you, Jesus. Not only to cut off the trees that don't bear fruit, but to prune the ones that do so that they can bear more fruit. Amen. It brings a weightiness, doesn't it? Oh God, are we worthy for what he's called us to participate in? How do we decide that? How do we assess? Well, I think according to the scriptures, we don't. God does. Amen. Who can know his own heart? Amen. We can't even know. We say, well, I, 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 I want it. I think I appreciated it. I don't know. How do I really know? If I can't really know my own heart, how do I know? Well, God is going to provide the way for that. It's called the sword. Amen. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, it's a small thing for me to be weighed or judged by a human court. He said, I don't even judge myself. He said, I know of nothing against myself, but that does not justify me before God. I think I'm doing pretty good. Can't think of a problem right now. That does not justify me before God, Paul said. But I'm going to wait, he said, until the Lord comes. And then every hidden thing is going to be revealed. And God is going to give to each one according to his deeds. Thank you, Jesus. Are, are you ready and willing to pray the prayer, God, try me. God, test me. I want to be found worthy of bearing the burden in your kingdom. I want to know what it is that keeps me from fitting through the straits that's between me and this next thing that God has called me to participate in. I don't want to just hope for the best and say, well, I, I was feeling it. Whew. He taught in our streets. Good word. I don't want to settle for that. 
I want to know what God thinks. Amen. Sometimes it almost feels like, I won't say almost, if it always feels like there may be two mothers inside of us. There's two natures inside of us, and they're warring against each other. Do you remember the story when Solomon has been crowned king and given wisdom from God, and two mothers come to him? Because there's a problem. Each one of them has had a baby. He says they both lived under the same roof. <laughs> Sometimes there's two mothers under our roof. They both had a baby. And the problem is one of those babies has died. But both of them want to be a mom still. Amen. You know the story, don't you? And they both tell the same story. They both say that the other one rolled over on their baby in, in the night and, 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 and took the baby from me. But really the baby belongs to me. And it says they went back and forth and this one said that and that one said the other one. And, and both of them, you can imagine, both of them might have had pretty strong feelings about this. They wanted it. They wanted to be able to have this baby. It's a strong feeling. There's something about motherhood that, that is fulfilling. There's something about it that gives purpose and meaning to your life. Amen. That gives you a sense that what your, your life means is carrying on into the future and, and is going to have, have purpose. Amen. And there's something fulfilling about participating with somebody else that you feel like needs you. And so there's just lots of reasons why you can want to be a mother. But we know that one of those mothers apparently had a little lack somewhere along the way. They didn't murder that baby, but they did kill it. So somebody has been at least unconscious. Somebody has been irresponsible. Somebody was asleep and not realizing. They, they, they allowed themselves to drift off and become unconscious and their unconsciousness smothered the very life that they were supposed to care for. But now that they see that it's gone, all of a sudden, oh wait, that wasn't how I intended for this to turn out. So Solomon has them both there, and both of them are desperate to participate in raising this baby. Now I wanna ask you, if this, had, if this case had been brought to the courts today, what would they have done? DNA test. That's what I wrote down. They would have said, oh, this is no problem. We'll just do a DNA test. We'll take some samples. We'll figure out who it belongs to. It'll be incontrovertible and nobody will be able to question it. It'll take a long time. We'll have to get a bunch of experts involved. Uh, but in the end, we will have examined all the evidence and found all the facts and we'll be able to figure out which one of these people is the mother. It's too bad, isn't it, that they didn't have DNA tests in the day of Solomon. So they could have been sure who was worthy to carry the burden of this baby. It's a little different approach, isn't it? Amen. But this is, this is where we like to go, isn't it? And I'm talking to brothers and ministers and fathers here, 
when God started speaking to me to this, this to me last week, I was weeping in my office over there begging God to forgive me for all the times when some situation has come to my attention and I wanted to get out a DNA test instead of what was needed. Because it's easier, it doesn't involve you, there's no risk. And we even want to do this with ourselves, don't we? We say, well, I don't know. I mean, I know it's possible there could be something within me that, that is uh, not bearing this burden for the right motives. But at the same time, there's probably something that, that really is doing it for the right reasons. And, I'm, you know, I, theoretically, one, it could be one or it could be the other. But let me, let me think about it. Let, let me examine it and let me go over all the details of what happened and what didn't happen and who said this and who said that because now there's a problem and, and, and something has died. And, and So let's get out the microscope because this brother says that and that brother says that and, and it's just hard to know sometimes in these things. You know, that seems plausible and, and that seems plausible. And, but I think if we spend enough time on it, I think if we, if we just apply our minds to it and hear everybody out, and, and that eventually we're going to figure it out. We're going to get enough facts on the table. And then we're going to know. Amen. The evidence has led us to a conclusion. And that's the modern, modern way, isn't it? The scientific method. Just examine the evidence. But what happens at the end of that court case? What happens? Well, probably what happens is <laughs> one mother goes away embittered, probably says, well, I'm going to appeal this thing. There's probably a mistake. And the other one goes away saying, see, I told you so. You shouldn't have started down this road in the first place because I knew I was going to be proved right. And the thoughts of no one's heart are revealed. Amen. Nothing about what really takes to be a mother has actually come to, to end of you. And we say, well, good, we got it settled. Amen. No, we didn't. We just pushed it off for another day. And woe to that baby who's going to get raised by that mom who figures everything out in that way. You see what I mean? But the wisdom from above does not speak in that way, does it? Thank you, Jesus. The wisdom from God says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. Bring me the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. The King James translated, it's quick and powerful. It divides between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts, the intents, the motivations of the heart. Amen. So Solomon says, bring me a sword and we'll just do this in a, in a way that's fair. If we're going to have an argument, we'll settle. We'll just be fair. Cut the baby in two. Each of you gets half. And we know this is all hindsight to us because we know the story. But one mother says, well, fair enough. I'm not going to kill the baby. I mean, I probably wouldn't even handle it this way. But if that's the way you're going to handle it, okay, fine. I said my piece. I tried to tell, I tried to convince you that wasn't the way to do it. And it was really mine. Should have been given to me. But if this is the way you're going to handle it, fine. I submit. But something entirely different has a hold of the other mother. 
There's something it says that when, when she heard this, her heart was yearned with compassion for the baby. All of a sudden, it wasn't about being a mother anymore. All of a sudden, it was about the baby. Amen. Amen. She said, no, 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 no. Give it to her. Just don't, don't let the baby be lost. This is not about me. This is about the baby. Amen. Really, she was saying, let me take the sword. I'll take the pain. I'll get cut out of the whole thing. I don't care. I just want the baby to live. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I don't care if I don't get to participate in this or do that or get this place or that position or this function or people see it or know it. None of that matters. All that matters is that it happens. All that matters is that it lives, that it grows, that it's fed, that it goes into the future. That's called a burden. Amen. So there's always two mothers. There's always two mothers. Paul talked about Hagar, who is the mother according to the flesh. There's a promise from God. There's a promise from God. I really know it's from God. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. That's the mother of the flesh. And all it's going to give birth to are the children of the flesh. And those children are going to persecute the children of born of the spirit. And then there's Jerusalem from above who is the mother of us all. Sarah corresponds to Jerusalem from above who is the mother of us all. Amen. It's the church. The burden of the church. Amen. Becomes all consuming. God. Paul said, I am in labor pains again to birth you in Christ. Amen. Amen. There's another straight in front of you, but you look a little too big. But we've got a sword. Maybe a sword can accomplish the purpose here. Maybe we can fit through the straights, God. If we can just have the word of God, it'll birth us into the kingdom. It'll 